Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Great to be with you. Uh, I just want to give a shameless plug for FPU. Uh, Ann and I just celebrated 27 years of marriage. And uh, the trajectory of our marriage, by God's grace, is up and to the right. I'll clap for that because that's from the Lord. That's awesome. Um, But if you were to ask us, uh, what are the three biggest impacts on our marriage? Uh, Because I was stupid enough to believe that Jesus is enough for a good marriage. Uh, It's Jesus and tools and obedience that makes a great marriage. Uh, and uh, I would tell you what, what has fueled our marriage is uh, a marriage conference we went to, year three, where we got the tools to retrofit. I had already laid a terrible foundation. Second thing I would tell you is marriage coaching and counseling. And then 10 years ago, we came across FPU. It took our marriage to a whole new level. And so I would really encourage you, go for the first time, whether you're married or single. Our daughters, when they graduate from college, they have to go through FPU, or there's a book on it called Total uh, Total Money Makeover, just to get them into life. And it's just part of college, we think. So please, I'm a huge fan. Not only a fan, I'm a client and a customer, and I love it. So go, okay? Shameless plug over. Um, Great to be with you. Happy New Year. Uh, Love being here and excited for what God has for us. If you have your message notes, why don't you grab those, please? Um, And if you have your Bible, open up to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to do an overview of the book. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, or you can go on your phone and turn on your Bible uh, on the YouVersion app on the back of your message notes. tells you how to get there. Nehemiah, go open your Bible in half. That's Psalms. Turn left a few books, actually four books, and that's Nehemiah. That's where we want you to be. So, true story, early December, uh, we have someone over for dinner, Anne's cousin and her boyfriend are over for dinner, and he works at the Genius Bar at Apple. And I'm like, ah, I've got issues with my Mac, and so can you help me? He's like, yes. And so he works on it, he's like, you know what, you don't have the new operating system, Hi Sierra. And this is the ad for it, your Mac elevated. Hi Sierra for me meant your Mac decimated. I downloaded it. And it, it wreaked havoc. I mean, everything was slow. It was terrible. The internet, I couldn't, I, I live on the internet. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. So I had to go back to the genius bar and talk to a genius. And he said, he couldn't do anything. And he said, well, have you backed up your Mac? Now, I'm way above my pay grade at this point in the story. And I said, um, well, someone gave me an external hard drive. I stick it in every week and it backs up. Is that backing up? He goes, yeah, let's get it. So we get it. And he goes back and says, we're going to do a system restore. And so he pulls it up, reboots my computer, has that thing plugged in, and it shows all the dates I backed up. He said, what date did you load the new operating system? I told him. We went to the week before. He pushed a button, and my Mac went all the way back in time and restored itself to before that new operating system. I was blown away. It just boggled my mind. I was driving home from Stanford and going, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I could just make it that simple in life? Just hit system restore at some point in my life. I thought about, does anyone else ever have conflict with a spouse or kids? Am I the only one? Wouldn't it be amazing to go back and hit 
boom, system restore, right before you had that conflict, knowing what you know now. Or I just think of some of the most biggest regrets in my life at 53. If I could just go back and hit system restore and go back before. Or just think of the brokenness in our culture. Stupid mistakes have been made and, and brokenness in our city. Whatever that first step that caused the avalanche of brokenness that we're experiencing today, boom, hit system restore. Or I think of the character in my life at 53 and the stuff I'm wrestling with uh, that goes all the way back to my teenage years and my first step of disobedience, not knowing that 35 years down the road I'd be wrestling with stuff because I took that first step that looked so cool at the time. If I can go back and hit system restore, oh my gosh. I'm here to tell you something like that is possible. Now, look, I'm not an idiot. I live in the real world like you do. And in Christ, God doesn't promise ever to take us from the consequences of our wrong choices. But God does promise a few things. That he'll give us, as followers of Christ, unlimited forgiveness for those wrong choices. And God promises one day he will make all things new. But in the meantime, God says, you know what? I will recycle, I will restore every wrong thing in your life for my good and for my glory if you follow my way. That's good news, right? That's good. We're going to study a book for the next 10 weeks uh, in the Old Testament that is about this whole thing. And I don't want you to miss a week. We're going to look at the Old Testament's most extensive restoration project the rebuilding of these walls in Jerusalem. But more than the walls, it's also a project of rebuilding hearts in people. And as we travel, we're going to answer some pretty important questions through this book, like this. What does restoration and renewal look like? I want to help you align your hope where it should be. Some of you are sitting and you're living with a lot of regrets. We all have regrets, but some of you are sitting in some deep regrets. What hope do you have of restoration? What can God do in your life? I want to answer questions like, what's my part in the restoration process? What's God's part in the restoration process? As Ann and I celebrated our 27th anniversary dinner, we always do this reflection and we were thinking about our marriage and here's what we love. Here's what we need to work on. And then we ask ourselves, well, what's our part? We pray about that all the time. Does God give us responsibility so that a year from now, our marriage looks different? Absolutely. Nehemiah is going to help us with that. I want to give you hope. Uh, later on, we'll come to this passage, but um, last year I read through the Bible in a year. And uh, on December 30th, I was in Revelation chapter 21, second to last uh, chapter of the Bible. And Jesus has this statement, Revelation 21, verse 5. He says this, I am making all things new. Most of the time we think, oh, that's great. Of course, in heaven, everything's going to be new. But no, I dug a little deeper. You know what I realized? It's in the present tense, which means this in, in the Bible. I am continually, right now, in the present, every day of your life, working towards renewal in your life. I'm here to tell you as followers of Christ, renewal isn't something that happens once you die and go to heaven. Renewal is right now. For the follower of Christ. It gets way better in heaven. But right now we are bringing the kingdom of God to earth in and through our lives. And I think Nehemiah will speak to that in amazing ways. I want you to hear my heart. 
I really believe that God, and I'm not trying to butter you up or psych us up for this. That's not my job. But I really believe that God wants to do something supernatural and transformational in and through us. We close every gathering with a benediction, don't we? And in that benediction, we say this. May you be, what? Healed as you participate in the healing of others. I really believe God wants to do that in new ways, in fresh ways, in and through our lives. In this day and age, when following Christ and identifying as a Christian is skeptical in our culture, in this day and age where there is more of a mass exodus from the church than like never before, people aren't flooding the church. I don't know if you noticed, we have some red seats in the sanctuary. We have to flood to the people and outlive our generation. God wants to do something new in your life. Two years ago, I was on a sabbatical, and I came across, um, and one of my goals of sabbatical was to create a life plan, and the resource I used had me write my eulogy. And you might think that's like morbid or whatever. I loved it. And every week, I start my week reading my eulogy. What I want people to say at my memorial about me. And I uh, reverse engineer from that point to today and say, God, only you can bring that about. But I have my sight fixed on that day and I am praying that you would bring about newness and transformation and supernatural living in and through my life. Here's one of a few questions I have for you. If it's true what I just said, if the way we're going to make a difference in our community is not just the hour we spend here on Sunday, but the 167 hours during the week, if you are the greatest asset that this church has, not me, what is it? And I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. I say this in a humble, introspective way. Do you hear my heart? Do you see my posture? What is it in your life that can only be explained by the supernatural? How is it we're going to outlive our generation? We speak in a, of, and we just worshiped an unlimitless, unlimited, supernatural God. How is that expressed through the way we love and the way we work and the way we pray and our character? That's what this series is all about, being agents of renewal. So open your Bibles, you're there. Let's just walk through the book of Nehemiah. I've got a few questions in the next 20 minutes I just want to raise for us. Here's the first. What's the context for this book? What's the context for Nehemiah? The book is actually time-stamped. Are you in Nehemiah chapter 1? You there? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Here's the time-stamp. It's cool. Nehemiah 1.1. 1, 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Here it is, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Zuza. That clears it up, doesn't it, right? The year is 445 BC. If you're taking notes, that's, there it is. 445 years before Christ. We are 800 miles away from Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. That's where this book uh, starts. It ends in Jerusalem, it starts here, and Nehemiah goes back and forth. Babylon had come in years earlier, about 60 years earlier, had come and ransacked Jerusalem and taken captive 
the greatest and the best. Anyone heard of a book called Daniel in the Old Testament? Uh, that's all about that story. And in 1 Kings and 1 Samuel, you can read about all that taking place. 2 Samuel, you can read about that taking place. And they uh, brought the best back to Babylon. Then Babylon got conquered by this group called the Persians. And the cool thing was the Persians were much more religiously tolerant than the Babylonians. And so this Persian king named Cyrus says, hey, why don't you guys go back to Jerusalem? Go rebuild your temple. And uh, the book of Ezra, a book called Haggai, these are all Old Testament books, talk about that first wave going back and rebuilding the temple. And then uh, about 25 years later, the king looks and his cupbearer comes to him. The cupbearer's name is Nehemiah and says, I got to go rebuild the walls. And the king goes, go ahead, go rebuild the walls. So there's the context of what we're talking about here. Who is Nehemiah? This is really cool. His name means this. The name of Nehemiah means this. Yahweh is comforting. Yahweh has comforted. That's so cool. Because here's the deal. What our community needs most are modern day Nehemiahs. Word on the street for the hundreds of people that aren't filling this sanctuary right now is God, if I came to church, God would say, you disappoint me. God would say, you make me sick. I know what you do with your life. I know what you do at night. God would say, I judge you. Because that's what Christians do to me. No, no, no. We need to get out there and say, hey, God loves you. God is for you. Jesus came to earth to rescue us. Because where we're headed and what we're doing with our life and how we're loving and relating and working, it's all broken. We need modern day Nehemiahs that says to the people, Yahweh is comforting, I'm here. Look at his, uh, look at his um, job description. Verse 11 of chapter one, I was a cupbearer of the king. Nehemiah is a sold out Yahweh follower disguised as a cupbearer. That's the greatest asset in this church. Because we have people, I'm looking at them. Modern day restorers, modern day rebuilders who say, yeah, my LinkedIn profile says what I do. I have a profession, but that's not my passion. My passion is to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God anywhere I go. My profession, go to my LinkedIn profile, you'll see that. We used to have a, a woman in our church, she doesn't attend anymore, but she, was a, um, she checked people out at Petco. And she knew this better than anyone I know. She came to me one time and said, you won't believe it. Gary, I pray over every customer I'm checking out. Now, she doesn't do it like, stop. Hey, let me hold that bone. Jesus, help this woman. That's not what she's talking about. But she said, this woman looked so discouraged. And I just looked at her as I was checking out her merchandise. I said, are you okay? She said, I'm having a terrible day. And this woman said, I just want you to know, I, I pray over for people coming through. I get off like in 15 minutes. Can I just pray for you and with you? And the woman took her up on the offer. That led to a relationship where this woman ended up giving her life to Jesus Christ. Why? Because she came to church? No, she wouldn't sit foot in a church. Because a woman, a sold out follower of Jesus, disguised as a Petco checker outer, came to her. It's the need of the hour, I'm telling you. 
that you surrender your profession to your passion or you ask Jesus, increase in me a passion for you to be lived out in my profession. And then, because I know you're feeling really nervous right now, let God do the rest. He's the evangelist. Just see what he will do when you make that act of surrender. What we're going to see is uh, Nehemiah came across an injustice that he didn't go looking for. It came looking for him. And it broke his heart. And just like Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, that's a New Testament book, who left heaven and came to earth over an injustice, Nehemiah leaves the king's palace and comes to Jerusalem. What does it mean to be a cupbearer? It's the most trusted office in the kingdom, right next to the queen. Uh, the cupbearer, literally, kings were always the object of assassination attempts. And so the cupbearer would taste everything and drink everything that went into the king. So if it was poisoned, long live the king, give us a new cupbearer. That's how it worked. And I was thinking there going, gosh, this is the most trusted position in the kingdom next to the queen. Why would a pagan king entrust this to a faithful follower of Yahweh? And then I did a little study, same thing you could do. And you know what I found out? Artaxerxes, who's the king that Nehemiah worked under, his stepmother, you may have heard of this woman. Her name was Esther. There's a whole book of the Bible written about her. And she raised Artaxerxes at some point into becoming king as a Jewish woman. It's just amazing to me, God's sovereignty to be so many steps ahead of this to allow all of this to take place. So my question for you, my question for you is this. What is your passion when it comes to the kingdom? What is it out there? Or what is it when you look in the mirror in here that breaks your heart? It's what I call your signature brokenness. And you look around and you go, why doesn't anyone else see this? I guess God's raised me up to do something about it. This whole church, our best ministries are built on those very stories. We have a ministry called Reveille that heads to the VA hospital. Uh, it wasn't started because a pastor had the insight to go, gosh, we should do something. That's a, the major uh, brain and spine trauma unit for the war wounded. We should do something. No, it was someone pumping gas who came across a nurse that worked at Reveille, she told him about it, he was a veteran, and his signature brokenness got exploded within him. He's like, we gotta do something about this. Street life started because Tony, with a bunch of college students, how many years ago, bro? 18 years ago, came across some uh, people without homes on the streets, and just once a week started bringing pizza to them. Now, how many churches? Over 13 churches, four nights a week, are feeding people on the streets. And the director of Street Life, who is not uh, a paid staff person here, was Citizen of the Year for San Mateo County last year. That didn't start because of our insight. It started because of a passion in the pews. I can go on and on and on. It, the need is so great. Nehemiah was a professional cupbearer who had a passion for Yahweh. Now, look at this. What did he do about it? Uh, look at verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1. When I heard these things, he hears about walls being broken down. We'll talk about that in a second. He sat down 
and he wept. For some days, if you have your Bible, circle that some days. I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What's so cool is Nehemiah starts with prayer. There's 11 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. 13 chapters, 11 prayers. The book starts and ends with a prayer. This guy is just interacting with God because everybody, do I have your attention? Every restorer knows the secret to restoration is an intimate relationship with God the Father. Every restorer knows that. Intimacy with God the Father. Now, if I was your enemy, if I was your spiritual enemy, the, uh, the most biggest spiritual being who wanted to keep you from experiencing everything God had for you, that would be the target of my attack. I'd make you so busy, you didn't have time to pray. And I would, I would lie to you and say, God doesn't care anymore. When you opened your word, I'd whisper in your ear, this makes no sense. You don't need this. When you start to get ready to go and gather with the community of restorers called the church, I would whisper in your ear, I'd start a conflict with your kids or your roommates or your spouse. I'd discourage you and do everything I could to keep you from gathering in a place like this and keep you from intimacy with a God like that. Every restorer knows it's the secret to any great restoration process, progress or process. Your intimacy with the Father. And we're going to put that and encourage you to do that time and time again. Look at the greatest restorer that ever lived. And every week we're going to bring up re restoration stories, people like you that are doing it in small ways that have a profession but have a passion. They're going to talk about that. But let's look at the greatest one. His name is Jesus. Anyone ever heard of him? Look at the secret to his life. Look at just two verses. I can take the rest of the message on this. Jesus, how often? often withdrew to places, lonely places, and prayed. Look at this. This one really convicts me. Next one. Jesus went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives with his disciples following him. I read that and just go, okay, what is my as usual when it comes to my relationship with God? I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm not saying this to beat you up. I'm saying this because I love you as your pastor. We need this. And the enemy is really just, just I think, uh, lying to us. The biggest pushback I get in my 21 years of being here, when I look in the mirror in my own spiritual life, I'm so busy, I don't have time for that. Every great restorer knows this is the bread and butter. You know what I've learned? I have time for what I prioritize. Listen, be cavalier about your sports. Be cavalier about uh, the national championship. If you miss it, you miss it. You can read about it the next day, okay? Tomorrow night's gonna be fine. Be cavalier about uh, recreation and taking a walk. Be cavalier about reading your homepage. Don't be cavalier about time with the Father, spending time with him. Prioritize that. Do it. It's key to the restoration process. Nothing will take place. Nothing will happen if you don't start there and carry that throughout your uh, day throughout the day throughout with God okay I'm not trying to heap a load on you I'm just saying this lovingly we, we we have to come back to this kind of stuff we okay can you hear the rest of the message we've got about eight minutes left you good okay what's the big deal about the walls good question let's go back to the start of the story Nehemiah chapter one verse one to four look what it says the words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah 
While I was in Citadel Susa Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other man. Judah was, the, was Jerusalem. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. I told you about the exile, the, the uh, ransacking of Jerusalem, taking them back to Babylon. And also about Jerusalem. They said to me, oh, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble. They're in disgrace. Here's the issue. This is how sin works. They didn't know it. See, they're living in great trouble and disgrace. I don't know about you. I'm, I, I think you're pretty intelligent. I, I think I am too. If I know I'm in great trouble, I do something about that. I go see a doctor. I brush my teeth. I mouthwash. I run. I do stuff because I don't want my body to stay in great trouble. If something's in harm's way, I lock my door. Why would they keep maintaining themselves in great trouble? This is really important. In a New Testament book called Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 14, it's worth writing that passage down. It talks about an aspect of sin, a key aspect of sin is deceit. Deceit. People who are in great trouble spiritually, most of the time, live in a lie and in denial, they're okay. When there's things in my life that I'm blind to, but it's in great trouble, many times I can talk myself out of that and rephrase whatever I'm doing to make it more palatable in my life and make the consequences of it minimalize. Am I making sense to anybody or am I just that sick? Everyone look out this window. That city is in great trouble. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. Our tax revenue is at an all-time high. Have you noticed all the construction going on in Revit City? Does anyone else pay property taxes around here? No, they're not in trouble that way. Spiritually, morally, too many kids are going home to homes that are broken. Some schools in our public school system have a different, uh, and our teachers are the heroes and they're underpaid, but have a different tax base than other schools in the same public school system. And so some kids aren't getting the same access to educational resources. Our superintendent, an amazing heroic man, is going crazy because he can't recruit great teachers because they can't afford to live here. I can go on and on and on in different sectors. Way too many people are on the streets. Our street life ministry is booming because people don't have homes. Don't get me wrong. I mean, our city is more prosperous than it's ever been, but it's in great trouble. And my question is, as a church, and I don't say this like we don't, does anyone care? Who's weeping over that? I get it. Like, I really, I, I live the life you live. I, I am so overwhelmed personally, and I'm so overwhelmed with my daughter's great troubles, and I'm so overwhelmed with my, my mom's great troubles and my family's great troubles. Like, like, how do I have time to worry about that? I get it. But I think God has much more for us than just being concerned about ourselves. God wants to do that, but he wants also in our brokenness to weep and pound the table out there. That's what Nehemiah is all about. So what was Nehemiah's response? 
The walls of Jerusalem were broken down, and the walls meant their identity and their security. Without a wall, by the way, this wall is two and a half miles long. This wall is 40 feet high. Just do the math on this. It's eight feet deep, wide. That's a huge construction project. And without that wall, the city is open to intruders. The wall is your passcode on your phone. The wall is the lock you put on your door. Why do you do that? Because you don't want intruders coming in. They were okay with intruders coming in. It got so bad where the Hebrew children stopped speaking Hebrews because so many intruders, they stopped losing the, the ritual of the Hebrew people because they, they blended with the culture. So Nehemiah goes, this has got to change. It was their identity as, as what it meant to be Hebrew. It protected that. Uh, you know what the walls are today? We don't have walls around the city, but you know what they are today? It's your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's your character. It's relationships that matter most to you, whatever stage of life God has you in. Those are the walls. And I'm just here to tell you because sin has affected every one of us. And this is, what I love about this church is we don't, there's no shame. We all have blown it. All our walls are broken down. We all need a restoration and rebuilding and renewal project. So we're not one of those churches that points to a broken wall in your life and go, shame on you. That's not us. I can tell you some churches to go to if you want that. We're the church that says there's grace for you through uh, this word of repentance, of turning and doing it God's way, and we're here for you to help restore, renew, rebuild. And we will experience healing as we participate in the healing of others, right? So quickly, uh, this book is much more than walls. Can you go to that last slide I talked to you about? Chapter one to six, main character is Nehemiah doing a physical work, rebuilding the walls. But there's so much good in Nehemiah after chapter six. Chapter seven, he hands it over to this guy named Ezra. And Ezra, this is so amazing. We're gonna walk through the greatest revival in all the Old Testament. Ezra just opens up the Bible and starts reading it, and he wants to stop. People are like, don't stop. For seven days, Ezra is just reading the Bible, and a revival breaks out. People start doing this thing called confession, which just means agreeing with God, and they're saying, this was wrong. They became awakened to the spiritual junk in their life, and they're going, they see it for what it is. I don't want this anymore, and they're making vows to God. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Chapter 8 of Nehemiah, an amazing revival. And then Nehemiah goes back to um, Susa, back to Babylon. And between chapter 12 and chapter 13, there's a 10-year gap. He comes back in chapter 13. And because this is real life, all those people who made vows, most of them turned their back on those vows and went back to their sin. And so Nehemiah, at the chapter 13, just goes, this isn't right, and ends with a prayer. Remember me, oh God. I love that because that's real life. That's my life. Three steps forward, two steps back. Three steps, am I the only one? Two steps back. I guess I'm the only one. I can't wait to get in this book with you. Here's what I want to ask for you. Can you go to that last slide? What I want to ask of you for the next 10 weeks. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God, what is it that's breaking your heart that breaks my heart? That is a dangerous prayer. God, what is it that's breaking your heart that breaks my heart? And I can look around and go, gosh, 
Tony, why isn't your heart broken over that? Doesn't matter. You're looking for your signature brokenness. Then I want you to read or listen to the book in one sitting. It'll take you an hour and get the whole overview of the book. Uh, The Gmail is a weekly email I send out. It's been going on. Actually, Gmail happened before Google got Gmail. My biggest regret, if I could like restore, I would have like gotten a copyright calling it Gary Mail. It was my wife's idea. I call it a Gmail, a weekly email to the church. Anyway, um, (laughs) if you don't have that, if you don't get that, pull out a card, just write your email address and put the word Gmail on it and put it in the offering basket when you leave. Don't miss a Sunday, the gathering of the restorers. So important. And then, this is really important. I'm going to ask you to get in a group in the next 10 weeks to go through this book. I've been reading this book over the break, and I just thought, oh my gosh, Lord, the Holy Spirit was stirring in me, and I was just going, gosh, if hundreds of people would be going through the principles of holy ambition, which follows the book of Nehemiah, what would happen in our city? Uh, In here, we have a whole, through um, Right Now Media, a whole video segment that you can access that takes you through the book as well. Don't miss the next 10 weeks. It's going to be amazing. Oh, I, 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 I'm already late, but I got to say this. If I, if I don't say this, there's no point. I, you missed the whole sermon. I can't believe I missed this. Uh, the best part of Nehemiah, he's an Old Testament picture of who Jesus would be one day. The story of someone, I told this a little bit, but living in opulence and living in luxury, that's heaven. That's Jesus, the object of worship from the angels, becoming aware of brokenness in a distant, far-off land. And they can't remedy the brokenness, so he has to step in. And through Nehemiah's work, the brokenness is remedied as far as the wall. That is what we call the good news of the gospel. And that's the main reason why Nehemiah is in the Bible. Because 445 years before Christ, God was speaking to a country saying, one day someone greater than Nehemiah will come. Okay, this is it. This is what I've waited 33 minutes to tell you. Not just to rebuild walls, because rebuild walls don't change lives, but to rebuild your heart. That's what I came here to tell you. Jesus is a way better restorer than Nehemiah. Because what those people did in chapter 12 and 13 in turning back from their vows through Christ, we have the power never to turn back on our commitment to Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this book. Thank you for uh, allowing it to be even communicated through a broken vessel like me. I ask you to uh, open up our eyes and reveal to us what it is individually that's breaking your heart, that is breaking ours, that you want us to do something about. As we commune and experience you for the rest of our gathering together as a community of restorers, raise up in us the hope of restoration. Jesus, thank you for being a better Nehemiah and coming and restoring our lives. And thank you for the hope, if no one's placed their faith in you, that they can be restored, that their past, their blow-its, their biggest regrets, doesn't have to have traction in the future. They can be someone different. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. 
You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.